Okay, we're going to wrap up this series called uh, Jesus Community. We've been. This was born out of a desire to talk about, uh, to, to address a lot of the division we've seen in our nation, in our communities over the last year. Uh, it's been a very divisive year. I think the pandemic um, has brought a bit of that out in us. And unfortunately, we've seen it in the church as well. I'm not so much referring to North Harbor, but just the church in general. And so this series was designed to talk about, you know, what are the things that that help unify us and bring us together as a church. Um, And we're going to wrap it up today, and I'm going to keep this part short, and we're going to open it up for some prayer today, just to pray over this issue. So, you know, at the end of a series, I think it's good to spend some time reflecting and praying on it. And so... um, if you're a guest this morning, it doesn't mean that we'll be asking you to pray. It just means that uh, those who want to, we will pray a little bit. Um, <clears throat> as we get to this last section, I, this last passage, I was reminded of an experience I had in college. Um, <clears throat> I was in my senior year, and I was trying to figure out what was coming next. Um, I had started college as a double major in athletic training and psychology, <clears throat> And then in my junior year, or going into my senior year, I dropped the athletic training. I just didn't care about running onto a field and wrapping up someone's ankle. Um, And I wanted to, uh, the psychology I was was very much interested in. And so that last year I had a little bit of catch up to make uh, with some classes. And I had a number of classes with a Dr. Kahane. And this guy, was the real deal. I mean, he was the, uh, the picture of what a college professor is. He, it always looked like he just rolled out of bed and he dressed like he, he went to L.L. Bean. You know, he always had khakis and a, and a collared shirt that uh, looked really wrinkled mm-hmm. like he slept at it and he rolled out of His hair was all disheveled and um, really heady. Um, he was, his classes were tough. And um, I remember talking to another student that really thrived in those classes, and I felt like I did too. I really enjoyed it, and she was talking to me about how much she loved his classes because they were challenging. And so I really looked up to this guy, um, and his his classes were challenging. Um, <clears throat> and you know, I was psychology in in, in college. Had, some of the other professors were like at the end of the class, like, "What do you feel you earned this?" Quarter, you know, not with Kahane, you know, you had definite grades you had to earn, and and it was tough. And um, the psychology department was on the other side of campus, but their uh, their labs were in our basement. Uh, I, I lived in one of the oldest uh, uh, dorms on campus. Um, this was the the college was the that's where basketball was invented. Uh, there was. Uh, I think it used to be a training for the YMCA, uh, for leaders with the YMCA, because their logo looks is very similar. Uh, so a lot of history. And uh, <clears throat> I lived in one of the oldest dorms. And so down in the basement was where they did all the lab stuff with, like, the rats, you know, running, finding the cheese and all that. And I don't know if they got those rats from the basement or if, uh, I don't know. But um, <clears throat> the laundry was down there as well. And one day, I'm down getting laundry, and I'm, I run into Dr. Kahane, and he's exiting the building from a lab that he did. It wasn't one I was in. I just ran into him. And he stopped 
Um, you know, the, this is the kind of absent-minded professor that just, you know, I, but he stopped me. I was really kind of surprised. And he encouraged me to go on to grad school. And it was that simple. Just pulled me aside and said, you know, you, you, got, you could do this. Uh, there's a lot of potential there. And I remember just this feeling of just being so honored that he would uh, stop and talk to me like that, that he would, that, you know, indicated that it was on his mind at some point that he had thought about it and pulled me aside to say, to encourage me to go on to grad school. Um, it lifted my spirits. It gave me confidence. It gave me a bit of energy, um, you know, as we're closing out um, four wonderful years at Springfield College. Um, <clears throat> I didn't do that, but uh, I did get his recommendation when I went off to seminary. Um, and he gladly provided that, even though it wasn't going on to get a graduate degree in psychology. Um, there's something that happens when we honor one another, when we lift each other up. Um, it had an impact on me as a person, and I still remember it to this day. It was, it was a very um, fond memory um, of him and an encouragement to go on to grad school. Uh, I think at that time I still was very self-conscious, didn't think I could do it, and so that, would, that really helped, even though I went on to uh, something else uh, instead of psychology. But uh, <clears throat> this idea of being honored. And so the Jesus community is, should be like this as well, where we honor one another. Um, as I said, for me, it was an extremely powerful thing that happened for me. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had a similar experience. At work, you get recognized, or at school, or church, or friends. Uh, my mother uh, had some friends. She was going to play golf with just a handful of her friends. She shows up at the golf course, and there's a bunch of her friends. And they were all there to celebrate her. And it had nothing, there was no, there was no occasion. It wasn't her birthday. It wasn't any, just, you know, they just gathered a bunch of people and took a big poster and signed all their names on, and she came back with that glow of feeling honored, of feeling lifted up, and um, that she felt special. Um, that happened to her just uh, two weeks ago. And so, uh, in the Jesus community, um, there's no one in the community that's negligible. Everyone matters. Everyone matters, everyone's important, and everyone is recognized as being of great value to the community. And so that's what we're ending with uh, this series with, is this idea of honoring one another. Because that, um, I think, has a very powerful effect of unifying people um, and bringing us together. So we're going to look at a passage in, in Romans. Romans 12, uh, verses 9. Uh, I have here 9 to 13. And in the context of this letter... It's very similar to what we see Paul write in uh, the letter to uh, the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians in particular. We see touches of this in uh, Ephesians, where Paul is talking about how all of us have different gifts. We all bring different things to the table that are worthwhile, and that we're gifted by the Holy Spirit in different ways. We all have different passions, different skills. And in this community, particularly, particularly in 1 Corinthians, he goes on to talk about the importance of love. And that even 
people who don't seem to have a lot of status really, really matter. He's come to that same point in Romans. He's talked about how we are a community where everyone does something different, everyone has a different uh, passion, everyone has a different skill, and everyone is important. And once he talks about that, he moves on to this section that we're going to read. And he says, don't just pretend to love one another. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. This is referring to Jesus, the resurrection. Um, Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And he's addressing life within the community. What does Jesus' community look like? Here's what it looks like. Now, if we look at this, it says, don't just pretend to love each other, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. And I love this order, that loving one another comes first. Because often, what we've seen in the church is we reverse it. We get caught up on hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. You know, and then the love comes later. Like, you know, uh, we want to hold to what is good. We, we want to define what's right. We want to uh, look at what's bad and what's good. And, and we kind of lead with that. And sometimes if I think if we lead with that, it shapes who we end up loving on the other end. And so I love how he starts this. Don't just pretend to love others, which means that that's possible. He mentions it because it happens. <laughs> right? He wouldn't mention it if it wasn't a thing, right? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what, And then he says, hate what's wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring one another. And so he talks about this honoring. Um, take delight in honoring. There's different uh, translations. We'll read it differently. Um, this one says, take delight in honoring. I love that because there's sort of an energy to it. There's an eagerness to it. There's something that's fun about doing that. Um, <clears throat> outdo one another and showing honor is other translations will read that. I love that. It's like a competition. Wendy and I are in a competition. I'm going to outdo. I'm going to beat her in showing honor. I'm winning. I don't think I'm winning. I think she's winning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Show, here's, here's how one scholar put it, translated it. It's his own translation. Show the way to one another in respect. Like, I'm going to demonstrate what this respect looks like. Honoring one another. So in the biblical world, you know, to honor someone is to show respect, to show esteem, to hold someone in high regard or reward. Um, it's to show respect for the authority or worthiness of a person. And again, this is coming after a section where he's talking about all, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of roles in the church. And the ones that stand up on stage and lead the sermon aren't necessarily any more important than anyone else. Amen. 
I remember someone, when we first launched at, at the Orion, we had a couple that uh, were there for about a year, and I got a big lecture from them on plugging, you know, setting up and plugging in speakers, and they, they, they say, well, you got to hand that off. That shouldn't be your job. I thought, I don't think I should ever be above plugging in speakers and setting up things. That doesn't seem like what Jesus community looks like to me. Um, and so this idea of holding someone up. And as you go on, again, we can read it again just quickly here. Uh, Never be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our, in the, our confident hope. We, we see this idea of being enthusiastic, um, rejoicing. Being patient. Keep on praying. Um, be ready to help. There's, there's an energy behind this and in this community where we are lifting up. This is what honoring people looks like, is that we are ready. We are praying for them. We are ready to help. And we're enthusiastically praying for people and, and serving one another. Um, <clears throat> honoring the other person. Um, one person wrote this. What is required is a genuine recognition and acceptance, each of the other, and of the part of each in the life and the worship of the congregation, an appreciation for everyone. And imagine the unity that would be seen by the world of the church if we were just honoring everyone all the time, just we were outdoing one another and showing esteem and high regard to everyone. And in a church, we have people that come from different political persuasions, different approaches to um, <clears throat> everything in life, all these hot topics in our society right now, that people come. So we are going to outdo our Republican brothers and sisters in showing honor. We're going to outdo our Democratic brothers and sisters in showing honor. We're going to outdo that person, and they, even though they fall in a different view on this hot topic, we're going to outdo them in showing honor. And that's what the Jesus community should look like. And we do this for one another. Now, what's interesting is we get a picture of this, a story where we see it happen uh, with Jesus. And it's found in John 13. And we're going to read this. And close and then pray and reflect and think about all the teachings in this series and uh, ask God to help us to make a more unified um, congregation for the world. In John 13, it's before the Passover. Jesus knows where he's, he's going to suffer and he's going to suffer horribly. He's having his last supper with his disciples. And it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. So despite the pain that's coming, the pain that he will take on for all of us, he's still loving. He's still loving. It was time for the supper. And the devil had already prompted, the accuser had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. 
I love that. He's got all this authority. And then there's a and then it says so. And it and it implies sort of a logical con- conclusion. Right? So, because of all this authority that he has, he got up from the table and took off his robe. Wrapped in a towel around his waist, wrapped it around his waist and poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. This is what slaves do, not leaders, not rabbis, um, not someone who believes that they've suffered enough already and that they're going to suffer more than anyone else, and so they've done their time. He gets down and he washes their feet, which means he places himself as lower in lower esteem than them. That's how we honor someone. We, we put others above ourselves. We give them high honor and regard. And that's what Jesus does by lowering himself. And he washes their feet. He shows them what it's like. This is what it's like to honor someone. He honors all his disciples. We're going to skip down to verse 12. It says, After washing their feet, he, uh, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked them, Do you understand what I was doing? And if we take this home, take the sheet home and circle that question and just think about it. Do we understand? Do we understand this? This way of life and what he's showing us what a community looks like. Do we really understand it? Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, which is we do this. We do this week in and week out. We call him teacher and Lord. You are right. That's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. You ought to go and honor one another. I've honored you. Go and honor one another. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. So what he's saying is that the disciples are not greater than their teacher. Right? We all know this. They are not greater. So the example that he gave them is that he lowered himself so that they would do the same because they're not above him. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Another version puts uh, says that this is the path to blessing. I love that phrase. This is the path to blessing. This sort of service to one another where we lift up someone else. And he's, I mean, he's out there. He, I mean, he's saying it forthright. This is what the community looks like. We honor one another. I don't think we're horrible at this at North Harbor. I see a lot of praying for one another. But we are a part of a global church that doesn't always look this way. And there are certainly ways that we still need to learn what this looks like when times are tough, when we feel like we've suffered enough, when someone has put us through the ringer enough, we still get down on our knees and we serve them. We always do that. He does something that's shocking. It's really surprising. You know, in the middle, the, the section I skipped there, Peter's scandalized by this. He's like, you can't do that. And I wonder how, you know, if, 
I wonder if the church was really putting their heart into this. The church generally I'm talking about. If the world would say, you can't do that. He does something that's shocking. And I wonder, is the world shocked by the American church right now in general? I'm not sure that they are. And so, and I, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, what does church outside the box look like? Because pandemic has kind of ruined our box. Our, our, nice, our nice, neat box has been destroyed. And it's hard. It's really hard to think outside the box. We say that all the time. But if I was to think outside the box of my family routines, I, when I think about it, I think, I don't know what I'd do. I don't, it's, we, we get into a routine. And I think that the, the church is in a routine. And I don't think that we're doing things that are shocking. I'm talking about the American... I don't know about the church around the globe. It's just different cultures. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about what I see in America, in our culture. I don't know if it was the last time I was shocked and like said, you can't, you can't do that. Jesus does it. Jesus does it. He lifts up the other person. Now, they're, they're going to abandon him. They are all going to ditch him in a matter of hours. And not only that, but Judas is going to betray him for money. And he knows it. He's still washing his feet. Still washing his feet. I think if we did that, people would be surprised. People would be shocked. Honoring the person that betrays us, the people that betray us, the groups that betray us, Whatever that is, the ca- that caused the most pain. And how is he able to do this? And why is it we don't see it in the church? And here's, I think this is really important that we consider this. It already talked about how he knew he had this authority. You get this sense that he's really connected with the Father. You get that theme all throughout the book of John. He can't do that unless he knows that he is loved. Beyond any circumstance, that he always has a home with the Father. You, you, we cannot give ourselves like that unless we have a deep sense of that security of God's love. So it's you know what I want to say is you need Jesus, you know. And when we say that, because we hear that kind of thing a lot. It almost feels like some sort of magic term. You got to know Jesus. You got to get right. You got to be with Jesus, you know? And it's almost like, okay, I just got to pull myself together. And we almost think something magically will happen. And, and, and when I say that, I want to, what I mean is that we need to have a very strong sense of God's love for us because we will not be able to honor and lift up. The people that hurt us most, unless we have some secure foundation. And that's only in Christ. And that's the model he gives us. Not just that we serve one another, but he is so strongly connected with God the Father. And the love that's there. And then we can do that. And so, every week when we cover, you know... The forgiving community, the honoring community, the sympathetic community, the suffering community. I want to stand up here and say, 
No, really, we really, really, really need to do this because I know how it works. We, we hear a message, we think, okay, got some good thoughts there, good word, and we go and we remember that we got to buy coffee on the way home or something, and it's easy to forget. I want us to really think about this. What are the barriers to our unity in Christ? Not just in North Harbor, but among other denominations as well and other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they come in all streams and shapes and sizes and um, it's a beautiful thing when we see it all unified. It's not going to happen without that sense of deep love uh, from Christ. Um, And then we're free to do that. We're free to give. So what I'd like to do is just close in prayer. And for those of you who are regulars, you know how we do this. Uh, We just um, pray as you feel led. Um, And when you're done, instead of saying amen, if you could say, uh, this is my prayer. And so as a unified body, then the rest of us can say, this is our prayer. And we we are praying together. And so at the end of this series on the Jesus community and what it looks like to be united, um, it would be great to hear prayers concerning that. But really, this morning, I feel like whatever's on our hearts, I want to pray about. Whatever's on your heart, I want to pray about. Um, <clears throat> so, as this usually goes, um, particularly on holiday weekends when there's hardly anyone here, uh, there's that awkward silence. Who's going to pray first? Uh, that's okay. We're okay with the awkward silence. Um, only pray if you feel led to do so. I will lead us off, and then we'll close and see.